Hey, welcome to First Assembly of God, all those who are in person, and for those who are joining us online, what a joy it is to be able to gather and to share God's word with you. Most of you know me well by now, and for those who do not, I am a morning person. There is an internal alarm clock within between four and five men. I wake up, I'm ready to go. And this past weekend, we were able to spend some time, my wife and I, down in our favorite place, down in Cape May, New Jersey. And because every Saturday it's been raining, it was no different down there. I love the beach. I wasn't able to get to the beach because of the rain on Saturday. Sunday morning, I wake up. I peek out, and it's, it's dark, but I could see through the, the, the street lights that it's not raining. So I said, now's my chance. So I sneak out of the room. I go down to the beach. It's cold. It's dark. There's no moonlight. And I'm like, am I, you know, what am I doing? And I'm just walking back and forth, praying for my family, praying for the church, praying for the services, praying for Pastor Matt, just praying for Pastor Emily and and Miss Megan, praying for Pastor Paul, just Pastor Bonnie, going through the whole thing. And all of a sudden, I look to the east, and there's this little light that's starting to appear. And this is what I'm reminded of. Darkness doesn't last forever because there's always a sunrise. Think about that for a moment. And I was like, I started to think of the faithfulness of God during the dark seasons of my life and how God was faithful and he always brought a sunrise. And then all of a sudden, I'm not much of a photographer. In fact, this was done on my cell phone. This is what I was blessed with. It was probably one of the most beautiful sights. And I was just like, wow. I snapped a shot as a reminder that there's always a sunrise in the midst of darkness. And let me say this. Because I don't know what season some of you are in right now. But if you're in a dark journey or in a dark season where it's just cloudy all the time and every day it just seems dark and rainy, never lose the dream of a sunrise. Never lose the ability in a dark season, that there's a sunrise right around the corner. We are in the midst of a series called Welcome Home. And our theme verse for this whole series, Welcome Home, comes from Psalms 92. And one of the things that Pastor Matt and I want to do is we decided each week to read it from a different translation. So I know we did the NIV, we did the NLV. I think last week he did the EVS or English Standard ESV. 
I'm going to do the amplified version this morning. And it's, the amplified is more of a study Bible. It's, it's really cool because it puts little notes in. The righteous, but it doesn't say just the righteous. The uncompromisingly righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. Be long-lived, stately, upright, useful, fruitful. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Majestic, stable, durable, incorruptible, planted in the house of the Lord. They shall flourish in the courts of God. Growing in grace. They shall still bring forth fruit in their old age and shall be full of sap, full of spiritual vitality and rich in verdure. What the heck is verdure? (laughs) Hey, thank God for Google. Verdure is a freshness. Fresh in trust and love and contentment. They are living memorials. And I say this in utmost respect. But Brother Lou and Kathy, Sister Fogel and Brother Fogel, to to me they are living memorials. That show the Lord is upright and faithful to his promises. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. Well, welcome home because home is where your heart is. And we've been talking about a house of prayer, a house of outreach. Last week, a house of miracle. Well, I'm going to add one to the mix this morning. Are you ready? A house of dreams. Have you lost your ability to dream dreams? This morning I want to use a scripture verse that comes from Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost. Peter gets up and addresses the crowd who's totally confused at what's taking place. And he quotes the prophet Joel. And this will be a springboard. You know what a springboard is? Uh, 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 ver, uh, a springboard uh, text is, it's, it's a diving board. You just use it and you dive into your message. So I'm not going to hang out on this, but it says this in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision And your old men will dream dreams. Now, let's dive into our message. Probably, I was gifted with a time six months before my good friend Dave Greco passed away. It's been two years now, last week. I was gifted with his presence and Fabian down at a Starbucks near the network office. 
And we were just sitting there drinking coffee, talking about old times of youth ministry and, and, and times of mission trips and doing everything. And as we were walking to the car to leave, Dave said, hey, I, I want to share a prayer that I pray every day. And as he shared it, I said, can you give me a copy of that? So for all you who are in the silent generation or for all you boomers out there, you may want to get your phone and take a picture of this real quick. As the years pass, I find myself both aging and slowing down. Teach me how to age without growing old. How to slow down without stopping. And how to honor and respect my past without trying to recreate it. Remind me of the ability to continue to dream dreams as promised in your word. And I'm telling you, that's a prayer that's been a prayer of mine ever since that I pray mornings. Now, nine out of ten times, when I find myself discouraged. Come on, am I in the right house this morning? Do, do you ever get discouraged? Nine out of ten times, when I find myself discouraged, it's because I have zoomed in on something that has frustrated me. And as I zoom in on something that is frustrating me, I block out everything else around. There's a word for this. It's called hyper-focus. When your word is turned upside down, you're so focused on one thing that's frustrating you that you block out everything else around. You're fixated. You're consumed. And it's just like, Ugh! And during those times, you lose your ability to dream. You lose your perspective because you're just so consumed with this thing that's frustrating you and that, 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 that you get discouraged and it's like, ah. Like, well, this is what I have found out that helps me. And let me illustrate it this way. You got to learn to back up and zoom out. And as you back up and you zoom out, you become less focused on the thing that's been frustrating you. And you have to begin to stop looking horizontal and look vertical because when you look vertical and you start looking down, things become smaller. And that very thing that was frustrating you that you zoomed in on all of a sudden becomes smaller. And here's the formula. Change your pace. Change your place equals a change in perspective. And I'm going to say that throughout. And when you change your perspective, all of a sudden you begin to see 
further than you've ever seen before. And all of a sudden, things just look smaller than they have before. And as you look vertical and you stop looking horizontal, God gives you the ability to see above and beyond and gives you the ability to dream once again that a sunrise is right around the corner. Phil, you're coming, I'm coming up to your house real quick. You'll, you'll see. Uh, let me give you the formula again. You change your pace. You slow down. You change your place. Start looking vertical instead of horizontal. And it equals a change in perspective that allows you to see God bigger than anything that's frustrating you or causing you darkness. Things from a vertical just look smaller. So what I'm asking this morning is for us, perhaps, could you just elevate yourself? Get your mind on all what's frustrating you. Get your mind off of the things taking place horizontally. And can we elevate ourselves and look vertically that our perspective may be changed so that you can dream? You know what I found out? That when I look vertically, and get my eyes off of the horizontal. I can see further. I get a different perspective. And you can dream. And the more you dream, the more you pray. And the more you pray, the more you dream. And the more you dream, you just see loved ones coming to Jesus that need to know Jesus. As you pray, as you dream, you, you, you think of miracles that, that need to take place. And as you dream for the lost, and as you dream for miracles, that leads you to pray. And it's a virtuous circle that just keeps going on and on and on. Before the ascension, before Jesus was taken up to heaven... Jesus casted a crazy dream. He casted a, a crazy vision. Now, we are so overloaded with this scripture verse, especially here at First Assembly of God, that we just overlook it and we don't think of the ramifications. But before he ascended into heaven... He told his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, why was that a crazy dream? Because the average person in that day did not travel further than a 30-mile radius from their birthplace. The average person back then did not travel further than a 30-mile radius. So just to give you a little identity, okay, say you were born in Freehold. That means you're not traveling any further north of Island, any further south than Forkett River. You're not traveling any further west of Trenton. And thank God you can get Sandy Hook all the way down to Point Pleasant in. 
But that would be the, the norm back then was, was that. And Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Do you know what a crazy, outrageous vision, dream that was? The second century historian Eusebius says this. Now the circle is Israel, Judea. And the second century in Eusebius says this, that Matthew traveled as far as Ethiopia and as the crow flies, that's about 1,500 miles. James traveled as far west as Spain, 2,300. Philip, that's Western Europe, Belgium, France, about 2,000. But the one that caught my eye, man, the one we always label as Doubting Thomas. As a crow flies 4,000 miles all the way to India. Why am I saying this? Because people back then said, what a crazy dream. What a crazy idea. What an impossible dream. But look, here we are halfway around the world, two millennials later, and we're still sending people out, making disciples of all nations. And it all started with a vision, with a dream. But before they were to go, before Jesus gave them the green light, he said, wait. Until what? Wait. Until they received power on on high. And there on the day of Pentecost, they got the when, the where, and the how. I'm saying the answer to your dreams always comes through the power of prayer. And if you're in a dark season right now, just keep praying and expecting God to give you a beautiful sunrise. Oh, I pray that we could dream bigger dreams, have greater visions. But you may be sitting there, but pastor... What happens when your dreams shatter? What happens when your dreams shatter? In Joshua chapter 7, Israel suffers a humiliating defeat. At the hands of their enemy. Their dreams of possessing the land of Canaan. Their inheritance. The promise being fulfilled now seems lost. 
at this one defeat. And if you've had dreams shattered, the question this morning is, how do you restore broken dreams? Let me remind you of the story in Joshua chapter 7. Joshua sent some men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel. Now those cities, those towns, those places will become very important. And he told them to go up and spy out the region. So he sent men up there to spy out Ai. And when they returned Joshua to and when they returned to Joshua, they said, Hey, no, no problem, boss. Don't let all the men go up there against Ai. We, we only need to send two or three thousand men to take it. And, and, and don't worry all the men. Don't worry all the people. There's only a few men up there. Not everybody has to go. So about three or thousand men went up. And they had to retreat. Because they were routed by the men of Ai. Who killed about 36 of them. And chased the Israelites from the city gates all the way to the stone quarries. Shabarim. And struck them down on the slopes. At this. The hearts of the people melted. The hearts of the Israelites melted and became like water. Now, I thought that was really interesting. What, what does that really mean? Their, their hearts melted and became like water. In the New Living Translation, it says their courage melted away. In the Amplified, they began to doubt God's promises. They became disheartened. Think about this. God miraculously brought them over the Jordan River. He miraculously gave them the walls of Jericho to fall down. It, it, it seemed like the hand of the Lord was upon them. And all of a sudden, they suffer defeat. They become disheartened. And they think that this hand of God has abandoned them. And support has been withdrawn. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like the hand of God had been taken off of you and your family and his presence just withdrew and your heart melted like wax and you became so disheartened? Woe is me. I want to focus on Four places. How many know that names are very important in the Bible? The meaning of names are very important. First, I want to talk about where the Israelites were driven to. Shabarim. They chased the Israelites from the city gates as far as the stone quarries. Now, 
where, where I lived in Califon, about a mile from my house was an old stone quarry that wasn't in operation anymore. And my neighbor and I, we had mini bikes, and we would ride our mini bikes through the fields, through the cornfields, you know, trespassing, but no one ever stopped us. And, and we would go to this stone quarry, and it was just a place of brokenness, a place of ruin. A place on this hillside where there were, you know, limestone that, uh, that caused the stones to crumble and then they would transport the gravel out. But it was just a broken place. Stones all over the place. Shabara means broken place. Broken places. And here. It was the dreams of the Israelites that were broken. The Septuagint reads, until they were broken, they were, they were driven out of the city gates until they were broken, until the route was completed. Here is Israel broken by their enemy. The Amorites have destroyed their dreams of possessing the land. In, in fact, listen to what, what Joshua says. Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, why... Why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan to, to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destruct us? Now he's questioning God. If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? Verse 9 talks about, and the Canaanites and all the others will hear what will take place, and our name will be wiped out of the earth. Broken, despair, thought all was lost. Some of you who may not know the story, well, what happened in Ai? What took place? Ai means a heap of ruins. Listen, if you're going to battle a stronghold, you better make sure that stronghold doesn't have a hold on you. If you're going to battle a stronghold, you got to make sure that stronghold doesn't have a greater grip on you than you realize. What happened at AI? Let me give you my theory of what happened at AI. When the Israelites were going to cross the Jordan, God gave them instructions. Joshua inquired of the Lord, and God gave them the plan of how to cross. So they're in the land of the enemies. They're in the promised land that's occupied. They come to this fortified city called Jericho that was shut up. How are they going to capture that? And God, they inquire of the Lord, and the Lord, once again, gives them the battle plan. Walk around it once for seven days, uh, for six days, and on the seventh day, walk around it seven times, blow the trumpet, and the walls came tumbling down. Miraculous! But how many know, victory after victory, we, come, we become a little independent. We become a little too cocky, a little too confident. Our ego starts to build. And when it came to AI, Joshua does not inquire of the Lord how to capture AI. There's no inquiring. In fact, we read, he sent spies and he came back. And the men said, only sent up a couple thousand. 
Isn't it amazing? What happens when we leave God out of the equation? What really took place? Verse 1 tells us, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully regarded to the devoted things. Acted unfaithfully to the devoted things. Remember, their first city that they captured was Jericho. Now, if you've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years with no delivery from Amazon, and you finally capture a city and all the plunder is available to you, the Lord said specifically to the Israelites, don't take any of the plunder. It's devoted unto the Lord. Why? Because the first belongs to God. And what a temptation that must have been to have been without for 40 years and all of a sudden seeing this. And there was one by the name of Achan who took some of them. And the Lord's anger burned against Israel. What was our opening verse? The righteous shall flourish. Well, there was a little unrighteousness going on. When Achan saw the silver and the gold, he couldn't help himself. He's confronted. He confesses. And they stone Achan and his family and all his possessions are burned. And you say, that's a little drastic. But wasn't Achan responsible for the death of 36 men? So here you have, and, and this is what I thought of. Maybe if Joshua inquired of the Lord before going to Ai, God would have said, hey, wait, there's some sin in the camp that's got to be taken care of first before you go into battle. And 36 lives might have been spared. But as Ai routed the Israelites, sent them to a broken place called Shabarim, now they have a choice. Now they have a choice. There's two places that they can retreat to. One is called Beth-Avon to the northeast. Hosea says that the people who lived in Samaria feared for the cal for the calf idols in Beth-Avon. Beth-Avon means the house of nothingness, the house of vanity. I think of Ecclesiastes. Everything is meaningless. Everything is vanity. The Avon means pant. And the panting is referred to as... The panting means to... To exert oneself for usually in vain. The panting is the result of worry, panic. And you know that many of the things we worry about never even come to pass. So these broken people could have gone to a place of nothingness. And just sat and asked, what if, what if, what if, what if? They could have gone to the house of nothingness and said, why should we even dream again? 
what's the use? Everything is worthless. Everything is nothingness. We lost. Our dreams are shattered. We'll just lie until we pass. Or they could have gone to Bethel. And that's what we see they did. They went to Bethel because when they routed the, the AI, again, they came from Bethel down to capture. But what's Bethel important for? Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran and went to a certain place. That certain place is Luz, L-U-Z. And he stopped for the night for the sun has set. He changed his pace he rested. Taking one of the stones, he put it under his head and laid down to sleep. Do you know why he was going? Do you know why he was fleeing? Because his brother Esau found out that Jacob had stolen his birthright and was going to kill him. And Jacob's mother warned him, you better leave. A change of place. A change of pace equals a change in perspective. And that night, he had a dream. And he saw a stairway. He saw a ladder that was resting on earth that reached the top of heaven. And angels of God were ascending and descending. All of a sudden, a change of pace and a change of place equaled a change in perspective that caused him to look vertically. And all of a sudden, he was reminded of his destiny. He was reminded of his promise. And he woke up that morning and he changed the name of that place to Bethel. For certainly God's presence was here in the midst of broken dreams, in the midst of darkness. When our dreams have been shattered, never ever lose sight of the presence of God that a sunrise is coming. Pastor Bonnie, you can come. Worship team, come. The Israelites were routed by their enemies, driven to a place of brokenness, and had two places they could go. A place of nothingness, the place of vanity, a place where dreams die. Or a place called Bethel, the house of God where dreams become alive. And I'm just wondering, as we change our place, would you stand? As we change our pace, could we just begin to look vertically? Get your eyes off the horizontal. Look vertically. I love that chorus we, we sing from time to time. In the shadow of your light, everything becomes meaningless because in the shadow of your light, that's why we worship the Lord. So if you are one, who feel like your dreams have been shattered. 
If you're one who is in a dark season, could I ask you, maybe you need to change your place from where you're standing. Come to this altar. Sit in the front chairs. And allow the Lord, as you begin to look vertically, allow the Lord to change your perspective. Which gives you the ability to see further than ever you've seen before. Which gives you the ability to dream once again that there is a sunrise that's coming soon. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, come on, come on. Just change it. Just change it, man. Just come. Who else? Who else needs a change in perspective this morning? As I look. As I look into your holiness. As I gaze into your Change your pace. When Jacob laid his head on the rock, all I could think is, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Lay your head on Jesus this morning. Rest in him. Change a place from where you're standing and come to this altar and, and believe that with a change of pace and a change of place, God will give you a change in perspective where all of a sudden things are not as big as you thought. Oh, can we just worship him? Surround become shadows in the light. 